Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. I'm so excited to be joining Deborah Schaefer from Philadelphia, who is joining us by Skype. Hello, Deborah. Hello, Agnes. So nice to talk with you today. Deborah is the CEO and founder of Education Navigation. She's a specialist in navigating special education, and she knows so much about work-life services and supports and research that I'm just very excited and really looking forward to, to our chat. Deborah, to begin, um, please tell us how did you get into this field and, and what drives you and, and what would be your main um, achievements that you would like to share with us? Thank you for the questions. Um, let me start by saying how I began working in this arena. I was actually working in the corporate world. Um, my son was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is at the high end of the autism spectrum. And I chose to leave my position to homeschool him for one year because I wanted to understand his learning style, his learning strengths, and his learning needs perhaps better than the school did. And it was the best experience I could have possibly had. And it was also during that time that I began to delve into federal and state special education law and started a private practice, which I've been doing for the last probably 15 and a half years. So it was a decision that I made, a personal decision, to balance my work-life needs by focusing in on my son and his needs versus my career at that time. Um, from that period of time, as I've mentioned, I've been working with parents, hundreds of parents, over the last 15-plus years nationwide on a variety of special education-focused issues to help parents from um, navigating preschool through helping their children transition, for example, into college. Special education is a very specialized arena, and it's also very, very complex. And what drives me is helping to educate parents in terms of their pivotal role in driving their child's progress and their child's success in school. Every child's different, and every situation is different yet the complexities remain almost irregardless of what the diagnosis may be. So helping parents understand their child's diagnosis, the educational arena, and how to advocate for their children in school is, is truly what drives me. Thank you very much for, for sharing your, your personal story. When, when you uh, decided to, to take your time off work, um, w were there some negative comments? Did you experience some some uh, f frowning? Did you experience some difficulties in doing that? I didn't experience difficulties because I chose to leave my position, yet there were some, how do I want to say this? There were some issues that emerged that made it clear to me that perhaps there was the hope that this would be a short-term situation mm -hmm. versus a lifelong situation. Mm -hmm. And because my son was young at the time, he was six and a half, mm -hmm. and he was in the early stages of school, and I recognize that, and I say this to parents all the time, we have to get it right as soon as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. I decided that the focus needed to be 
on my son. Now, I was at a director level, and I talk mm-hmm. about this quite frequently. There are millions of parents who perhaps don't have the same level of access that I did or mm-hmm. the same flexibility that I did, and I found it to be a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm. So that also increased my awareness of the fact that there are parents at every end of the spectrum, from CEOs to part-time employees who are dealing with these same kinds of issues and the same kinds of decisions. They're very difficult decisions to make. Mm-hmm. I always tell parents it's a very personal decision. Mm-hmm. Only you as a parent or you as the parent unit, mother and dad, um, mother and partner, dad and partner, single parent. This is a very personal decision that every parent needs to make. And the other piece of it, Agnes, is it evolves over time. Mm. What may work when the child is six may not work when the child is 10. What may work for the family unit when the child is in seventh grade may not work anymore when the child is in 11th grade. So Mm. it's an evolving process that needs to be constantly evaluated. And part of that evaluation is the parent deciding, can I continue to work full time? If I do, what do I need in terms of supports and services? Do I need to cut back? There have been many, many articles written over the last, I'm going to say, three to five years about parents who are leaving the workforce because they cannot juggle. Mm. They simply cannot juggle the competing demands. And for me, as I said, being at a director level, I certainly had many of these competing demands because I was managing a very large team, yet the pull of my son's needs to me, my own decision that was more important than anything else at the time. And, and early detection and early intervention are so crucial, right? They are absolutely crucial. And in fact, I, I often joke about the fact that I fundamentally knew what my son was dealing with, but I had to have it actually diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he was struggling from an early age, very, very bright, very early reader, very, very articulate, but tremendous struggles in the social domain. Mm. And that led me to believe, okay, we may be dealing with this type of a situation. And indeed, that's what we were dealing with. And it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong challenge, as parents well know. It doesn't matter what your title is as a parent on the job. You know that if your child is diagnosed with, you can fill in the blank, that those challenges are going to be ongoing. I talk about them often as being almost like a seesaw between chronic and crisis issues. Mm. If it's a crisis issue and it emerges at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday and you have a management meeting at 3 o'clock that day, that's a crisis. If it's a chronic issue, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing. And for many parents, it's a combination of both. It's chronic and crisis issues, which puts a tremendous work-life strain on working parents. Yes, I mean, there's just so many wonderful things that that you mentioned and you're putting it so eloquently and really systematizing. And and I think that when when a parent is faced with um, uh, an illness... It's always there's always the hope that it it will go away quickly. You know the child will get better. We will be over this, 
And I think that in a way, this is also coming from the employers or the, or the work arena that we hope this is just temporary. You will be out for a week and then you will be back and we don't have to think about a replacement. We don't have to think about shuffling your responsibilities to other team members. And then, as you say, if, if these problems persist and it's, it's, it's chronic and there's an underlying issue, then it must be really, really tough for, for any parent to deal with it, even in a headspace kind of way, to, to not feel overwhelmed and, and not eventually have a burnout or be, you know, have psychological stress linked, linked to this, which then will have another repercussion on, on their work performance. Absolutely. It is a health and a stress issue. And in fact, more and more working parents are dealing with it at both ends of the what I call the life cycle spectrum. Mm. They may have a child, and a child could be a toddler, it could be a teenager, it could be a young adult with any number of issues. It can be an autism spectrum disorder, it can be ADD, it can be a learning disability or a mental health issue, and then they have an aging parent yeah. who might be dealing with Alzheimer's mm. or other sorts of issues. Yeah. So the reality is this working professional, for lack of a better word, we won't even call it a working parent at the moment, becomes a case manager for their child and also a case manager for their parent. Mm. That is Herculean work-life challenges. Yes, it's the sandwich generation. We refer Absolutely. to this as the, the sandwich generation. And, and I think that um, really employers and workplaces are not um, not – totally not adjusting to this new demographic reality uh, with the dual breadwinners or the single moms who are the sole breadwinner in the family, that they are already struggling with single or double care burdens or care issues, as you say, managing them on both sides. And already um, services are so expensive and so scarce for, you know, in a regular childcare establishment that for special needs, I may imagine that it must be very difficult to find the right services, the right therapists, and probably very expensive as well. You're absolutely correct, and you've just touched on, on a number of points. In terms of companies, very much as it was, let's say, 15 years ago, when the issue of lactation rooms, you would never hear about that in companies. They never wanted to know that a working mother who had just had a baby has returned and is spending 45 minutes in the ladies' room. Yeah. That was never something that was discussed. Yeah. But because it became normalized, which is a term that I use frequently about the special needs arena and working parents, if mm. you normalize the issues, then change can happen. Mm. So today, one of the big issues, which is well overdue, and I couldn't be more pleased to hear about it, is working fathers, yeah. the issue of working fathers in the workplace. No longer is that an issue that's flying under radar. Dads mm -hmm. are becoming very outspoken about, and there were just a number of instances over the last, I don't know, two or three months of CEO-level dads who have said, I'm stepping out. Mm. I want to be a dad this time with my child or my children or my family really, really matters. Yeah. Well, when that becomes more normalized and we can begin to discuss these issues as being part of life cycle events, then it doesn't become so much of a stigma. Hmm. And there are stigma issues that as, as it pertains to working parents who have children with special needs. There hmm. are 
not just the competing needs of work and then family, but there are also the obstacles such Mm. as self-disclosure, their Mm. concerns. These are very real concerns about, will I get that promotion? Will I be given that assignment? What will my peers say? What will my manager say? Well, the truth is, if, if you're a parent and you're dealing with a chronic slash crisis issue related to your child and you don't disclose, something's going to give somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, it's the, the stigmatization that, that we spoke about. I believe quite a, quite a few people, I think the majority wouldn't even tell that they have an elderly parent or, or, or a child with um, special needs or, or extra care needs because they're just afraid of the stigmatization. Of They would be labeled that, okay, they cannot be count, counted on. They cannot be relied upon because they will drop out or they will have these crisis situations when they have to go. And, and this, this, I think, it just increases the anxiety and, 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 and really spirals into into a really negative uh, work relationship whereas maybe if they would be open about it and there would be an open discussion and dialogue then somehow it would ease all of these issues so maybe just link to that um what what would you say um employers could do or you know how you see in your practice what what could be perhaps some good cases or, or best practices where employers have really accommodated these needs, the special needs of the parents? Let, let me answer that, but if I may, I'd like to just comment about something you just said. Sure. The, the issue of elder care is much more acceptable than the issue of working parents who have children with autism or mental health issues. Okay. It's becoming, there, there are many more services, there are many mm-hmm. more um services being provided through employee assistance programs, um, through work-life programs that are specifically addressing elder care issues. So that topic is much more normalized in the workplace today Mm. than the issues of working parents who have children with. And it's not because the media isn't paying attention to it. Every single country has statistics about the numbers of children, for example, with autism spectrum disorders. Hmm. For example, there was a study done, it was a few years ago, I'm I'm going to be pretty close, something like over 3 million children in Europe with with autism. The the increase in Australia was something similar to over 75% increase over a three or four year period of time. Hmm. So the numbers are there and the media is paying attention to it. What seems to be a disconnect is, okay, we know that the numbers of children with or teens with autism or the numbers of of young adults with mental health issues, that's on the increase, and now what? How does that translate into the people who are responsible for caring for these children, Hmm. who are responsible for ensuring that they receive the education they need, the supports and services they need, to be successful, productive adults, that's where the disconnect is. And do you see this as a disconnect from policy and governments or from employers or a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. In the United States, for example, many, many states have what's called, and I'm just focusing on of autism for a moment, okay. have autism insurance reform. Mm-hmm. So 
37 states plus the District of Columbia have laws that require autism coverage, and 31 states require insurers to provide coverage for autism. So there are ways that the government is trying to mandate some of this coverage, yet it really does fall to the employer to say, what are we going to do about this? Mm. Employers contact us with some frequency and say, how much money should we be allotting, for example, for autism coverage to our employees? Mm-hmm. And many of the top companies, whether it's Fortune top or best companies to work for or Working Mothers Top 100 companies, they will drill down into their services and provide, as an example, $5,000 as an adoption expense. Mm-hmm. That's huge for working parents. Mm. Well, the, the problem is $5,000 for autism services, while it might help, it's not really going to help because if you think, for example, of ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, which can cost anywhere from 75 to, let's say, 125 an hour, yeah. and a child needs between 20 and 35 hours a week of those yeah. services, yeah. very few parents can afford that. Yes, mm-hmm. maybe people, parents working at the top level in the C-suite, yeah. perhaps they can. But average working parents, they certainly can't. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, I could tell you stories of parents that I have supported in my private practice who have sold their homes and moved yeah. into small apartments, mm. who have sold their cars, who have moved in with family, who have taken their spare bedroom for their child and turned it into a therapy room, there Mm -hmm. are many, many parents who are doing everything they possibly can because they're advocating for their child's needs. Yeah. So back to the other question you asked about, (laughs) what are some specific things? There are a lot of things that employers can do, and many of them don't really cost a lot of money because that's always the issue. Do we have the budget? Yeah. Well, one issue is, do we have the budget? That's when we're really drilling down. But if we step back a little bit, the broader issue is, do we recognize that there's a need? If we look at the the statistics show between 8 to 14% of every organization has employees dealing with these needs. Mm. Yeah, that's That's a a huge, yeah, that's that's a a, a very high percentage. That is a very high percentage. Mm. So when we talk about solutions, yes, many organizations today are instituting flexible work options. That's a wonderful, wonderful help. Hmm. Flex work is critical. Flex time is critical. It enables working parents who have children with special needs to be able to adapt. Hmm. That's one thing. There are things like, you know, vacation banks, which aren't used as much today, but they are still used in certain organizations. Hmm. There's financial assistance, for example, as I just mentioned, to, to help with therapies. Um, Another thing which we try to promote a lot is a company can take an office, an empty Mm -hmm. office, and make it a safe private place for parents to go to make uh, calls to school to talk to their child's therapist in private. Mm -hmm. Many people today, you know, they work in cubbies or they work in an open office environment. Well, there are very few parents, whether they've self-disclosed or not, who want to talk to their child's principal, school principal, about a a behavioral issue in public. Yeah. 
they can do it in private, what is it that doesn't cost anything really? It's an office, it's a phone, it's perhaps a, a computer, and e- even some resource materials make it a safe place for parents to go to do these kinds of things. Yeah. So there, there are strategies that certainly can be implemented relatively easily. Some of the things that we do, for example, is we provide on-site advisors, mm-hmm. very much like office hours. So let's say, for example, we would come on site two days a month and employees would schedule consultations directly with us. Mm -hmm. They would go into a private office, they would bring in their child's educational documents, and we would spend an hour giving them specific strategies and steps that they can implement immediately. Mm. And this is then an initiative by the employer or it's it's an initiative of the employees? It's, and then they agree on, on it, or how, how does this work in practice? In practice, it's an initiative by the employer. So, for mm-hmm. example, um, one company that we've been working with, they purchased, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. X number of consultations for their employees. Mm-hmm. So the first, however many numbers of consultations they purchased, the first number of employees who sign up, would have a consultation with us. That would mm-hmm. be the type of consultation that we do one-on-one, and mm-hmm. it's typically done via telephone or via Skype. Mm-hmm. If we're coming on site, the employer would, we would discuss with the employer, okay, do we want to do a, an initial survey to get an idea of how many employees may be dealing with these issues? From mm-hmm. there, we can then make a determination, okay, you have 85 employees who are dealing with these issues. Why don't we come on site for three days a month? Mm-hmm. And why don't we try it for three months and see how that goes? The feedback is always, without hesitation, exceptional. Mm-hmm. Much of what we hear from employees is we never knew this kind of support was even available. Yeah. We yeah, didn't yeah. know anyone was doing this. Yes. I and mean, then yeah. it was, you saved me hours of time. Your mm-hmm. navigators answered questions that we've been trying to have answered for three years. We didn't know that we could ask for this particular support in school. Yeah. I I guess that there must be so many different kind of information and not clear information and and people are not aware of their rights, of their entitlement. I mean, it's it's very sometimes very bureaucratic. And, yeah, I can imagine that this must be. And then you have all the different specific um, uh, needs. It's it's very different if if it's an ADHD or very different, I guess, from an Asperger's and yeah, must be. It quite is very different. Confusing. Yeah, you're correct. And the reality is, it can be three separate parents who have three different children with an ADD diagnosis, or let's say a diagnosis of depression, or a diagnosis of um, anything that you can think of, yeah. and every single child is going to be different. Their needs are going to manifest differently. And that's why the individual attention to the parents Mm -hmm. and the child's needs is so critical. Yes, Mm -hmm. we also do workshops. We go into organizations and we do, you know, 60-minute or 90-minute on-site trainings. Mm -hmm. We do webinars as well. Webinars are not quite as effective because I always say I need to see the whites of your eyes. I can (sighs) tell by looking at you. I don't care if it's a room of 75 people, which we've done. I can tell by looking at you that you're not following what it is I'm talking about, so we're going to stop. Because if you don't get it, I guarantee you there are other people in the room who don't get it either. (laughs) So it's really critical to impart information 
because there's actually two sides to this. Parents are either on information overload. Yeah. I did it myself. Yeah. I spent 2 o'clock in the morning on Google yeah. getting all this information, and I had information overload. I mm. couldn't figure out what to do with it all. Or there's a dearth of information. Mm. I don't know where to get anything. I, yeah. I walked out of you know, the doctor's office. We walked out of the doctor's office. We received X diagnosis. Mm. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. yeah. So what we do is we cut through all of that and drill down specifically into, okay, what's going on with your child? Mm. What are the issues? What are the needs? When was he or she diagnosed? What are they saying in school? What are the services and supports? Is it the right educational placement? Do we need to be evaluating alternative placements for your child? Mm. It's a very complex arena, but going back to what you had asked me a few moments ago about what drives me, what drives me is being able to help parents figure out what to do to advocate for their child mm. because their child's school is their job. Yeah. And we want our children, all of them, to be successful at their job yes. because when they graduate, then they're an employee. Yeah. And, but I also find um, that it's not so obvious to stand up for the rights of your child um, opposite institutions or authority, you know, even, even I think some, quite a few parents have difficulties just going into the regular school and, and speaking to the principal, even if they believe that their child is right or there has been some, some issues where the, they think the child should ha have the right. And, and, and I wondered if that's also the, the factor between the, this power relationship between you and your boss um, of it's one thing that I'm managing my own working life, but I depend on my salary. So then to bring in this extra dimension of, of me and, and my child with problems or my elderly relatives with problems is, is very difficult in this power relationship. The reality is the core competencies that a working parent has on the job when they walk into school to meet with their child's principal, their child's teacher, their child's special education team, those core competencies oftentimes disappear for one key reason, and that's one of the reasons why we are business professionals teaching how to advocate in school because in the workplace, you're working from your head. When you're in school, you're coming from your heart, and it's very, very difficult mm. to use those same skills when you're in a heated discussion about your child that you do when you're in the workplace and you're sitting in a, in a management team meeting. That's, that's so true. And, and I think that it's, it's wonderful that you're doing that. And, and while we were discussing, I, I, I just, you know, I think you found the, this uh, education navigation, the navigation word is, I think, so wonderfully fitting to what you're doing because it's really this navigation between lots of information and little information and institutions and therapists and and I think as parents we always panic that's I think the first reaction and then trying to do too much trying to do everything from nutrition to sports to physio to everything and I think it's amazing that there are organizations like yours who really focus people and say, no, you, you should do this and, and navigate. I think it's wonderfully fitting. 
Thank you so much. That's very, very kind of you. And, and the, the reality is, yes, parents try many different things because there is an element of panic. There's also an element of denial. Mm-hmm. There's, a demel- there's an element of fear. There's an element of hopelessness. All of those things certainly come into play when, as a parent, you receive a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yet, I often say to parents, and always say to parents, with one side, I'm going to embrace you, and the other side, I'm going to do what in this wonderful movie from years ago. There was a movie called Moonstruck with Cher, mm-hmm. and um, she she slaps this gentleman in the face and says, snap out of it. <laughs> well, for parents, I say to them, you need to snap out yeah. of it because every single day that passes is the equivalent of weeks and months of your child's educational life. Yeah. yeah. And particularly when you're talking about executives who are dealing with these issues, executives have very limited time. Many times they have peripheral involvement. They often, but not always, have a spouse who handles most of the information. Mm -hmm. And while they often have greater access to resources Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. attempting many different interventions, they may not be targeted. Mm -hmm. And that's reality Mm -hmm. because, as I said earlier, this is about success in school. Children need to be able to succeed, and not just academically. We're talking about socially, developmentally, functionally. Mm-hmm. This is when we have to get it right. So there's really no time to waste. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is I can't tell you the numbers of parents who have come up to me at the end of a training and said, my child's in 11th grade. It's too late. It's never yeah. too late. We might have to work harder mm-hmm. and faster, but it's never too yeah. late. Yeah, you, there's always something that can be done. Yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you, because in 2012, you were the recipient of the World at Work Alliance's um, Rising Star Award for Work-Life Progress. Um, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about this organization and, and how, how this, uh, this wonderful recognition happened? Yes, thank you for, for asking about that, actually. Um, the Alliance for Work-Life Progress is an organization of work-life professionals. It's people who are working in the work-life arena, from people in the benefits area to people in um, just doing straight work-life consulting to people who are work-life directors at companies and organizations. And I was recognized in 2012 for launching Education Navigation because this is a breakthrough area that really hasn't been focused in on the way we're focusing in on it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's uncovering a new area in the work-life arena just like I mentioned, like lactation rooms 15 years ago and elder care issues and mm-hmm. child care issues, you know, 20 years ago, there were no on-site child care centers. Now many major corporations have them because they recognize that the health of their organization, the bottom line health of their organization depends upon the health, and I don't just mean physical health, of their employees. Mm-hmm. And the more that they can, organizations can do to help support the life cycle needs of employees, the better. And that's what they awarded me this wonderful recognition for. And I'm really quite honored to have received it. Well, congratulations, Deborah. Thank I think you it's, so much. I mean, it, it sounds, it's, it's, it's definitely something quite new to me. It's definitely something I haven't heard of or we haven't heard of. And, but it immediately clicks. When you speak about your work, it immediately clicks as this is a need and this needs to be addressed. Um, now, I know that we could be 
going on for a long time <laughs> and everybody would I think love to hear more from you but time is a bit pressing so I would like to ask you the the question that we always ask at the very end of our work life hub podcasts um, if Deborah you could give a CEO one advice that he or she should do to to improve the well-being and, and work-life um, balance or work-life fit of his or her employees, then what would that be? The piece of advice that I would give is that every CEO needs to recognize and be aware that employees have life cycle needs that are often out of their view. Mm. Yet these needs have a significant impact, as I just said, on the bottom line of their company because it's the employee who makes the company go. It's mm. not the product or the service. It's the people. And if a CEO can recognize, and many CEOs are dealing with these issues themselves, the mm. struggles, the work-life challenges, facing working parents who are raising children, who have mm. special education learning needs, and can do everything possible to help support them, it's going to help with the retention of their employees, It's going to help with recruitment of new employees, and it's going to help with productivity, which for a CEO, it's all about the bottom line. They mm -hmm. need to be able to run a successful organization. So that would be the advice that I would, I would give a CEO, to recognize that things you may not see doesn't mean they do not exist. Mm. Yes, that's, that's wonderful wisdom to to finish off maybe we before we say goodbye deborah would you like to just say your the websites where people can go and find more information oh certainly thank you for asking you can reach the my company at www.education-navigation.com and my private practice is www.debra d e b r a middle initial i Schaefer, S-C-H-A-F as in Frank, E-R, dot com. And you can certainly reach me via telephone or via email. I would be happy to speak with anyone at any time. So thank you very much, Deborah. This was very interesting and it opened also for the Work Life Hub podcast, a new horizon, something we haven't spoken about. And, and I congratulate you for your trailblazing work. And I think many, many um, working parents and carers are very grateful to you. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Agnes, for, for having me. It was my pleasure.